Okay, welcome. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are going through the book of John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in the book of John. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We like not only to hear the Word of God, we like to see it, have those words make an imprint on our soul, brand our soul. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 30. Speaking of Judas, it says in verse 30, having received the piece of bread, Judas then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you a new command I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, so here we are, Lord. We, you have brought us in to participate in this sacred moment Your Son, Your only begotten Son, hours before He hung on a cross, hours before He was really, Lord, tortured, Your Son, hours before He took all the punishment all the wrath, all the anger of yours that you have for every sin that's ever been committed, past, present, and future. Here he is in private at the last dinner, the last supper with his disciples. Oh God, we need to understand your words. Lord, but we are people who are deaf, dumb, and blind unless you do something, Lord, unless you open up our eyes, our ears, and you touch our tongues and open our mouths, Lord. I, I, I pray, Father, bring us to that understanding of these, of these words, these final words your son Jesus I pray this in his name and I pray it that you would do it by the power of the Holy Spirit amen okay you may be seated (laughs) 
So here we are. We have an extraordinary scene before us. The night before Jesus is crucified on the cross, the disciples are in the upper room. It's the Last Supper. Last week we spent a lot of time on how they were sitting. It says in verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John there speaking of himself. says he's leaning on Jesus' bosom. He's leaning back on Jesus' chest. That's how they were sitting. Now, that's, as we talked about last week, I believe that verse is included here as a picture of the same kind of intimacy that God wants for you, God wants with you. I mean, these kind of things make us feel uncomfortable. That's what the Lord is, that's what the Word of God's all about. It's always making us uncomfortable. God's drawing us to a different place. The disciples here at the Last Supper are seated around a very low table. Bible scholars think it was a, a, a table called a Roman triclinium. Think of a table close to the ground, kind of in a U, in the shape of a U, long table, and then there's little cushions uh, around it. And again, the best, the, the, the best picture I think I, uh, I've heard on this is, think of a flower with petals on the flower, and they're sort of on top of each other, close-knit around. Sean, can we have this picture? Now, last week, someone, actually, this week, someone emailed me, and, I said, and they said, after I used this illustration last summer, I'm sorry, that flower illustration did nothing for me. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm taking it to the next level. I'm showing you a picture. Actually, Eddie, or Eddie, can you turn off the lights on the side? I really want them to see this picture. The sun is sh shining through there. So you see here, the petals are sort of on top of each other. They're next to each other, but they're on top of each other. That was the kind of scene at this table. That was the kind of scene that they had at this table. Uh, there's an intimacy there. And it says in verse 21, Jesus is sitting like this with his disciples at the table, incredibly intimate setting. And he says in verse 21, most assuredly I say to you, in, in, in modern American, it's listen now and listen very carefully, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. Again, as we talked about last week, the disciples are stunned. What does he mean one of us is going to betray him? Verse 22 says they were perplexed, meaning they were confused. In the book of Luke, it says each of them said, well, well is it me? Could it possibly be me? Now, again, we read in verse 23, this is John. This is the guy, the man probably only 16 or 17 years old at this time. John, the writer of this book, says of himself in verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom 
Jesus loved. John uses that of himself four times in this gospel that he wrote. We talked a lot about that last week. And again, Peter, the apostle Peter, sees John. He's leaning on Jesus' chest. Basically, his head, is, uh, his, head his ear is right next to Jesus' mouth. And Peter sees this in verse 24. He says, and, and he motioned to John to ask him, who was it, who is it of whom he spoke? And now, it could just as well say, by the way, uh, he, he, yeah, he motioned it. He, he was making motion. He actually didn't, didn't say anything. So, come on, go. This type of thing. And then it says in verse 25, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, John said to him, it could just as easily have said he whispered to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26 says, Jesus answered, could have just as easily have said, Jesus whispered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And then, having dipped the bread, Jesus gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and then Jesus said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Now, we know that the only person who heard Jesus say in verse 26, the person's going to betray me is he whom I shall give a piece of bread. We know that the only person who heard that was John himself. He whispered it to him. Now, how do we know that? Again, it says in verse 28, no one at the table knew why he asked Judas to do this. To do what? What you need to do, do quickly. No one at the table knew, except, of course, the one who wrote this book, the letter, the words, John himself. Verse 29, for some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Let's continue in verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, this is where we began this morning, Judas then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I had said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So now you can only imagine the impact this made on John, who's the only one who knows what's going on. Judas just left to betray him, and he's talking about love? He's talking about love? 
That's what he's doing? What kind of man is this? Is it any wonder that John goes on to write 1 John, that letter, small letter, 50 times in that small letter, that word love in one form or another used 50 times. Now remember how this chapter began. How did it begin? Jesus washing Judas's feet. Verse 1 again of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, verse 4, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, his clothes, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. Now, what did... What had happened, what happened right before Jesus washed their feet? I'm waiting. What happened? Mm-hmm. I'm a patient man. What was that? There was an argument. There was an argument. The Bible says, and we know this from the book of Luke, they were arguing about which was the greatest. Yes, they were doing this at the Last Supper after following the most meek and gentle human being who ever lived. There was an argument about who is the greatest, who is the best, who is the most dedicated, who is the most spiritual, who is the wisest, who is the smartest, whatever. Jesus does what? He gets up and he washes all their feet including Judas's feet. So then Judas leaves to betray him. And the first thing Jesus says is, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You never see these men arguing again about who's the greatest. Never again will you see that. Now pause before we move on, Christian brother, Christian sister. Are you in the habit? Is there a pattern in your life of looking around at other Christians and compiling lists in your mind of of the things they do which which you know don't match up to the Bible or the things that they don't do that the Bible says that they should do, thinking to yourself, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than them in the kingdom of God. Well, listen, Jesus wants to wash your feet. He wants to wash your feet. And he wants to speak to your heart a new commandment I give you. Love them as I love you. So again, John stunned. Verse 
verse 28, rather verse uh, 34 again, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Let's take a step back. Why is Jesus calling this a new commandment? Loving one another. Is that a new commandment? All right. Thank you, Lord. People are shaking their head. That's not a new commandment. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, written 1,500 years before this event in John chapter 13. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not a new commandment. What's new about this commandment? What's new about the commandment in verse 34? A, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. What's new about that? Shout it out. As I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? But washing the feet of the man who was just about to betray you for 30 pieces of silver, a betrayal which will lead to an indescribably agonizing death, his back torn open, his beard ripped out, his hands and feet and iron stake driven through them. Love one who betrayed me into that? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you John, sitting there, the man who wrote this book, the only man who knew that Jesus was leaving the t dinner table, that he was going to betray Jesus, Judas leaves and Jesus is talking about love. Never let anyone fool you that because of the way they spout off the Bible, but they have no love in their life towards other Christians. Don't assume for a second they're a Christian. Now, don't judge them. But Jesus said this because he knew there would be imposters. He knew that. He knew that. And so uh, within 24 hours, he also knew, as he was saying this, that, that loving one another as I have loved you is going to take these, is going to take, is really going to go into a different stratosphere because it goes from loving a Christian brother, a Christian sister in such a way that you wash their feet, even as they're betraying you, to dying for them. To dying for them. Within 24 hours, actually within 12 hours, Jesus would be dying for them. Love each other as I have loved you. Die for each other. And what does that mean? I like 2 Corinthians 4.11. It says this, Apostle Paul, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also be, may be manifest in our mortal flesh. The next verse says this, so then death is working in us, but life in you. What does dying mean? 
What, what does it mean to love each other? Love that brother in Christ. Love that sister in Christ the way I've loved you. In other words, die for them. Well, let me tell you, it happens in a hundred different ways. A thousand different ways over the course of your year. It takes on a different form every day. A Christian brother, a Christian sister, when something happens and it comes down to you getting your way and her getting her way, it's her way. You die to yourself. And let, it just, let, it ha- let her have her way. And when your Christian brother is in need, you die to yourself and you meet the need. When your Christian brother wrongs you and there is a break in your relationship, when your Christian sister wrongs you, you die to yourself and you reach out to them First, take it from me who's had to do this a thousand times. That's a death. That's a slow death. That's like death by a thousand paper cuts. I hate that. You mean I got to go to them first? Even though they wronged me, they should be coming to me. That's what dying means. But then verse 35 says this. Jesus says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So no longer is the world going to know that what what he's saying here to to these men is no longer is the world going to know you or one of my disciples because you're physically around me. I'm going. That's what it says in verse 33. Little children, I I, I shall be with you uh, just a little while longer. You will seek me. And and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Uh, No longer is the world going to know you are one of my disciples because you're physically around me. They will know you because of your love for one another. That's how they're going to know you. And in John chapter 17, he ratchets it up. He brings it up into an even higher level. In in John chapter 17, uh, again, this is Jesus' prayer. John chapter 17 is to the Father. It's his prayer to the Father, and, and he's praying for you. For you and you and you and you and you and you. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you've invited him as king of your life. In John chapter 17, he's, he's praying for you, and he says this in verse 21. He says, I pray, Father, that they, that means you, all may be one, that the world may believe that you sent me. Meaning that if you love one another as Jesus loved you, he died for you. If you die for one another in a thousand different, da- different ways, if you're dying for one another, the world will somehow, after they observe that kind of love, that kind of love that they never see outside, they will come to the conclusion that the Father sent the son. Somehow, you know, all that doubt about uh, Jesus being God, somehow they're going to flip, they're going to flip from doubt and unbelief 
into belief and faith that the Father actually sent the Son and the Son is the Son of God. By seeing you loving each other in such a way that you are dying in the process. Your flesh is dying. I love that there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 14. The apostle Paul speaks of the unbeliever that comes, the seeker, the skeptic, the doubter, coming into a church. And, and uh, because of what they see and hear, they fall down on their faith, face rather, and they declare, surely God is in this place. You know, when someone from the world comes into a church where, where, where men and, and women are loving each other in the same way that Jesus uh, uh, loved them, they're going to fall down on their face. And they're going to uh, declare, surely God is in this place. Actually, here's the verse right here. And, and it's talking about here uh, when someone comes in and they hear a message from the pulpit or otherwise, which is speaking directly into their life. And how does this man, this woman who's, who's talking to me right now know that I'm going through this thing in my life? Surely there's a connection to God here. And, and it says, if an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, Falling on his face, he will worship God and report that truly God is among you. Why? Because the world doesn't love like this. People don't find this kind of love in the world. And so when they go into a church, which is actually obeying us, which is, which is rather than, you know, the normal thing, uh, uh, keeping the grudges, keeping the gripes, the complaining, the grudges, the slander, the gossip, gossip and, 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 and there's many churches, tragically, that are characterized like that. But if they see something different, they go in and they think, well, I've been looking for this my whole life. It says they'll fall down and they will say, surely God is in this place. There's a lot. There's a lot at stake here. Remember, these are Jesus among Jesus' final words. So again, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Brothers and sisters of Calvary Chapel, are you willing to obey Jesus' command here? Are you willing, really? Are you willing to pay the price that must be paid to love like this? You know, usually when you talk about unity and love at churches, usually when I talk about it, I'm looking out, and people are like, oh, yes, love, love. Of course that's who we are. We'd never dream of being anything different than that. Let's get all in the circle and sing Kumbaya together. Ooh. That's how they are. Until someone in the church, another brother or sister, has betrayed them. Until a brother or sister lies about them. 
until a brother or sister says something unbelievably cruel to them, pay the price? Pay the price. And then it's no longer kumbaya, my Lord. It's kumba kill, my Lord. Love them, forgive them, wash their feet. I see this all the time. I see this all the time. You know what the problem is? We grow up in... We grew up with an idea of love that is incredibly different than the love that Jesus commands here. I'm sure many of you know that there, in, 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 in the original language here, there's four or five words for love. Not so with us. I love lobster with ginger and scallion from Chinatown. Now, it's only certain Chinatown restaurants, because some of them just don't get it. Sorry, you missed it, restaurant. I know the ones, by the way, that get it. I love that. And I love my wife. What? There's a disconnect there. The problem is, is that the love that's used here, that word agape love, the idea that we grow up with about what it means to love is very different than the whole concept of love that Jesus is talking about. That he's not only talking about, he's commanding. He says, a new commandment. Not nice idea. A new commandment I give to you. And the problem is, is that we all grow up that if you love someone, it's because there's something lovable about them. There's something lovable about them. If you have difficulty loving someone, will you look for something that's lovable about them? The problem is, is that there's not that qualification here. Jesus calls you into his kingdom, and together with you, there are not some, but many who may have nothing lovable about them. And that's because God promises in his word, and he says in his word, that many whom he called are deeply wounded. They're deeply wounded. wounded. In Luke chapter 14, there is a parable. It's the parable of the Great Supper, in the parable of the Great Supper, there's the, the king or uh, a, a, a very important man. He, he had a great supper, and he sent his servants out to invite people to the supper. And it's all it's a picture of, of God in heaven and sending out uh, an invitations to, to accept Jesus, his son, and come to the supper, the, the abundant life. And, and it says he sent his servants, and the first guy they got to, uh, verse 18 of Luke chapter 14, uh, said to the servant who was, who was inviting him, you know, I, I just bought a piece of land, and I'm going to see it. So i sorry, I have to excuse myself. And then verse, the next verse, another said, well, you know, I, I bought five cows today, and I'm going to test them. I asked that I be excused. 
The third says, I have just married a wife. I got to go enjoy her. I got kids. I got to excuse myself. And so then the servants go back to the, to the, uh, to the king, to the, the master, the one who's holding this great supper. And he becomes very angry. And this is what he says to them in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 24. Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed. Now, the maimed, maimed it means someone who's been slashed up, cut up, large slashes in them, uh, and, the le- and the blind. Go out. Invite them. Those other people didn't want to come to my great supper. Go out and just pull in the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. God calls the maimed, the blind, and the lame, people who have been emotionally slashed, wounded, deeply wounded. He promises to call these people. He promises to call them. He has called them. They're in this room right now, deeply wounded by a father at the most impressionable age of their life when they were young, deeply wounded by a mother when they were young, deeply wounded by foster care parents, deeply slashed, wounded by friends, by a stranger. And many times, not all the times, but many times, Listen, stay with me here. A deeply wounded man, a deeply wounded woman, they act out. They act out because they were hurt over and over and over and over and over again. They act out. And so how do they act out? They hurt others. They hurt others over and over and over and over again. And God calls them into the body of Christ. Hey, They're under construction, and they continue acting out. They continue hurting. Are you willing to love them, or are you an imposter? Now, you may be hearing this and and, and thinking, well, this sounds impossible. Who would... But who would... Who said anything about possible? I I didn't say it. Text doesn't say it. Obedience to this command is not possible. (laughs) You say, I'm not Jesus. I can't love like that. I agree with you. I know that much about you. You're not Jesus. Neither am I. Two things. It's been wisely said, if you're taking notes, it's been wisely said of these verses. When Jesus says a new commandment I give you, when he says that, to love one another as I have loved you, it's been said he's not asking you to imitate him, his love. That's not what he's asking. He's asking you for, not for imitation, but participation. If you go out and you try to imitate Jesus, Man, all the stuff that Jesus did, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to try. I'm going to go. I heard this. Pastor Steve fired me up today. I I just got to be like Jesus. I'm going to go out and do it. Forget about it. You're never going to be able to imitate Jesus. 
But he has promised that you may participate. He's given you the privilege of participate. Just We just saw about glory, right? God is seeking out his own glory. He wants to see his glory by you participating in the life of Christ. That's what's going on. You can't do it. It's impossible. Number two, if you're taking notes. Listen, this is all about faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, famous chapter, which begins, by the way, you can have all the faith in the world, all the knowledge in the world, you can do all the good charity and good deeds, burn your own body for the poor, meaning giving up everything, but if you have not love, you are nothing. And it, it finishes, it concludes with this, now abide, meaning it now remain three things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That is true. However, and this is a big however, and this is where the note-taking starts, you can't do the love without the faith. Impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what Hebrews says, Hebrews 11.6. You can't love like we're talking about today without faith. It's not based on feeling, not this kind of love. It's not based on feeling. You have got to simply read the word of God. Jesus has commanded you to love. And even though there's not one molecule in your body that sees a loving thing to love, you love anyway, you die. And by the way, I'm talking about becoming part of their life. I'm not talking about this rescue mission stuff that you see all over the body. You, 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 know, you, you fly in in your helicopters, you go and you paint someone's house, and then you go out in your helicopter. No, I, I, I am talking about being a part of this person's life. I'm talking about when you're, having, uh, you're, when you're, doing your, you're making your wedding invitation list. It's, it, it, you're not like, well, this is my day. I invite, uh, I, I invite who I want on my day. It's not, it's not your day. It's God's day. You invite who God wants you to invite. It's having these people a part of, of your life. That's what, that's what it's talking about. So, number one, don't try to imitate. You, gotta, you have to participate if you're going to uh, obey this. Number two, it's all about faith. It's all about exercising your faith. So are you willing? Are you willing to obey Jesus here? Final question. I haven't, I haven't even gotten serious up to this point. <laughs> Here's my final question. Are you willing to come to a church where blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians worship together even though the worship is different, the people are different, even though it sometimes makes you feel isolated because you're on your own here, there's no one from my country here, even though it sometimes makes you feel alone uh, and isolated, and, and, and there's places, there's other churches you could go where you're going to be a lot more comfortable and you're feeling uncomfortable a lot, are you willing to do that? Because you know, if you do, 
Someone's going to come into that church, someone who is an unbeliever, they're uninformed, and they're going to say, wow, surely God is in this place. Are you willing? Now, we had a, a men's retreat a couple months ago. We had a breakout session in which we put all the men into pairs, two men. And the only rule was you couldn't pair up with someone of your own color. So all the men in the retreat, they separated and they were in you know, different color. And, and, we, and, and we passed out these, these sheets with questions on them. And on the top, it, it, it said, an exercise in listening. This is not for arguing. This is for listening. And the first question was, has there ever been an incident in your life where after the incident you were wondering, wow, did that person treat me like they just treated me because of my color? Next question was, has that happened in the last week? And, and, and then the next question was, if, if, you, if you did leave that incident wondering like that, how did it make you feel? Next question was, do you think that because of your color, you're at a disadvantage in the United States of America? And next we asked, has there ever been an interaction where some another Christian somewhere you had an interaction with them. And after you finished the, uh, being with that person, you were like, wow. Did what just happened really happen? Did they treat me like that because of, because of my color? And then the final question was, at Calvary Chapel in the city, at this church, have you ever had an interaction with someone where after the interaction you were like, wow, that... I, I, I think that person just did that or said that or left me out or whatever because of my color. And I told the guys, you know, because I talked about the questions beforehand, I said, look, whatever, you need to be honest here and I'll be honest with you. I've heard that many times. I've been hearing that for years. People coming up to me and saying, there's racism in this church. This white guy in your church, this leader, this white leader in the church treated me like this because of my skin. I've been, I've been hearing that for years. You know what I said to the guys? I love that. I love that. I love that, those, that the fact that those conversations are happening in this church, not because I like the behavior, but because I know I know there are churches out there where no one's complaining. No one's saying anything about being treated differently because of their race. Those are the churches where everyone's the same color. Everyone's the same race. Everyone's the same socioeconomic level. But at the end of the day, same question, right? Are you going to obey Jesus? Are you willing to worship at a place where someone openly said they voted for that guy who this week called the, my country a 
poop pole, except you didn't say poop pole. Use another word for poop. Am I going to actually have fellowship with that guy in Calvary Chapel in the city? Are you willing to obey Jesus' command? That's the answer. We've had a few run from our church. Most haven't. Most have continued here loving on each other, banging on each other's heads. That's how I want it. That's how it's got to be. Until we all get glorified bodies and we all get it. We see now as in a mirror dimly lit, the Bible says. Then when we're with Jesus, we will see it's all going to become clear. When we see him face to face, we're going to close with communion. And we're going to do communion a little differently. If the worship team could come up. So we're going to go from really serious to incredibly serious. How did Jesus love you? He loved you. And this is the way you're commanded to love others. He loved you. By taking, by loving, by loving Judas, even as Judas was betraying him. In other words, you are no different than Judas. The Bible says you are not any different than Judas. You have betrayed the Lord Jesus. But he lived a perfect love for you to credit it to your account so that when God sees you, he sees the perfection of his son and not your taking that knife and sticking it into the back of your Lord. He took that sin on the cross and then the wrath of God I thank God for God's holy anger came down upon Jesus and paid for your sin. We betrayed Jesus in a thousand different ways. Every time we make something else a God in his place, with money, with sex, with pleasure. And then the Bible says that death did not hold him. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He pours out the gift of life which he offers freely. And when we celebrate communion, we're, we're remembering what Jesus did. He said, I, uh, he, he, he comes into our heart when we make him Lord and King, but not a second before that. But the instant he does... He says, now I've come to give you not only life here on earth, but life to the full, life full of joy. Here's what we're going to do in communion. We're going to do things opposite the way that we usually do it. As the worship team starts, I'd like you to go back and get a cup. The tables are in the back and, and a piece of, uh, of bread and come back to your seats. And they start worshiping. But as, as, you're, as you're sort of mixing about and walking around, if there is a person in this church 
in this room, you know you haven't loved them the way that Jesus has loved you because of wrong that they did. Or you're thinking maybe you offended them, there's been some misunderstanding. You need to forgive them or ask for forgiveness or, or clear something up. I want you to just go as you're, as you're standing, I want you to go and hug them. You don't need to say anything because the hug really paints the picture. If that person's me, come and hug me. One person came up and hugged me at the first service. I'm surprised there wasn't 20 people. But but really, I I mean it. If if I'm that person, please, just come and hug me. The Bible says that if we take communion with unforgiveness on our heart, 1 Corinthians 11 says we're trampling on the cross of Christ. Rather, that's in, that, that, the, the wording is in Hebrews. You don't want to do that because the Bible says when you do that, you heap judgment on yourself. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but you're going to be chastened for misusing the cup that represents the blood of Christ. He forgave you. in such a way infinitely a million times greater than what that person is who wronged you. That's why we're commanded. Also, another command is to forgive. And so go back and get um, the cup, get the bread, return to your seats. And then while you're in your seats, we're not going to have any prayer couples here up here today. While you're in your seats, look, there may not be someone in this room, but I know you know that if there's someone in your life that you haven't loved like this because of something they have done and I just want you to do business with God as you just sit, sit in your seats with your, with your cup and your bread as the worship team leads us and just do business with God by that I just mean in prayer you can be on your knees you can be seated you can stand do whatever you want walk around the room Close with this final worship song. So you can you can rise now and you can we can all go back and and get the cup and get the bread and pray and worship.